Welcome to Shed Life. Let's do it. All right, welcome everyone. Today we're joined by Wayne. He's a senior exec in the global travel industry. How are you, Wayne? I know you're based out in the Middle East. How's things out over there? Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> given, given the circumstances, I mean, we've just had a six-week lockdown. Uh, they've just allowed us to step outside and get some fresh air and go for a walk. Um, but hey, it's nice to be here on the shed. Uh, you know, uh, speaking with yourself, mate, it's all good. Awesome, glad to hear you're all safe. All right, well, the question on everyone's minds, I guess, is when the hell are we going to all get to get, start traveling again? That's a good question. Uh, it's a really good question. Uh, I, I think, you know, given, given the amount of time that we're all spending, at, you know, indoors in our homes, um, you know, I, I, for one, am gagging to just, just go on a holiday anywhere, right? You know, at the moment, just going to the supermarket is, is like a mini holiday or, you know, going to take it out of the bins. Um, you know, so psychologically speaking, you could say, yeah, um, definitely, you know, travel is top of, top of mind for, for many, but, you know, government restrictions, you know, of course, the paranoia about the current pandemic and, you know, how that could affect people, it's definitely going to have an impact on, 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 on when people are going to be comfortable as well to travel. Um, but, uh, you know, we do think that domestic business is likely to pick up earlier than international travel. Uh, of course, uh, for logistical reasons, uh, but also because people are just more comfortable in their in their own hometown, home you know home country, uh, and able to jump into a car and kind of you know, keep that that distancing mentality uh, you know easier. Yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, I was reading something earlier um, about Australia, New Zealand. They were sort of coming up with some sort of pact or plan where they could um, almost start travel amongst their own countries within that sort of region. So obviously, you know, not scaling it to well, you know, global travel, obviously that's um, two separate countries, but very close neighboring countries. So that kind of thing, I guess we might see more of to start with, and, you know, maybe considered domestic based on size of countries like United States, for example, you could go across different states and call that holiday if you like within Europe, if they start easing up restrictions traveling within Europe, but I guess it could almost be like a ripple effect, right? Where you start small, then you slowly start to expand the sort of distances you are allowed to travel. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think at the moment we've got a live experiment happening in APAC, uh, you know, which is the kind of Asia Pacific region. Um, we have some countries uh, at the moment, you know, you've got Singapore, you've got China, uh, you've got South Korea, which very recently said that they had, they had no new cases. Um, you know, those are the countries that we expect to, to kind of be, let's say, um, quicker, you know, off the mark in terms of getting back into travel. And we're definitely going to be looking very closely at, at the kind of user behavior and consumer behavior in terms of how they move travel, you know, around that region. Um, but what we do know is that, you know, for the, for the time being, domestic travel within a specific country, you know, border is probably more likely to, to pick up earlier, uh, but definitely not at the same levels that it was before. Uh, the COVID crisis, at least not for a while. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I saw something again where I think it was in China, they were showing their sort of percentages of bookings since the lockdown sort of eased up there. And that kind of went up by something like 40%. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's again within the same borders. So yeah, I think domestic travel seems to be the, um, 
potentially the, the first stage, first phase of the reopening of the travel industry. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing you said based on consumer behavior and all that, and people's mindset, that surely got to play such a big, big and important role into how we go forward with our, you know, into the new era of not just travel, but into the whole world, because people must be so uh, skeptical and, you know, fearful about traveling, I guess, and especially in the midst of what's happened in the last few months. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, consumer confidence and travel, you know, uh, if, if we look at 2019 and, beyond, and, and before that, um, you know, consumer confidence was, was enormous in the travel space. I mean, travel was on a boom, you know, global travel. We, we hadn't seen anything like the, the kind of volumes that we were seeing globally uh, uh, before, um, you know, and, and that definitely came to a, to a grinding halt, uh, you know, when, when this pandemic started really kind of, let's say, spreading, let's say around February, March time. Um, and it's definitely unprecedented, you know, untread waters that we're in at the moment uh, as an industry. Um, you know, uh, people by, by nature, you know, we're, we're explorers, we're adventurers, you know, we're, we're seeking new experiences. Um, so travel has always been one of those things, you know, uh, to, to, to kind of, you know, entertain a person or, or a family or, or you know, or, or individuals to really kind of step out there and kind of experience the world. Um, in a situation like this, it forces you to kind of like, you know, get, you know, remove that social element uh, from, uh, from, from the travel experience, which is so crucial and, and so impactful on, 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 on why we also travel as well. You know, it's not just about you, you know, going out there and, and, and traveling solo, which is also fantastic, but it's also about experiencing that with, with, with somebody else and experiencing the people, the culture, wherever you go. Uh, and this kind of, you know, pandemic, you know, this kind of crisis kind of really you know, destroys that fabric entirely, right? Because, you know, now a person's thinking, okay, if I go to, um, you know, if I go to Hong Kong or if I go to, you know, Latin, you know, Latin America or something like that, um, you know, can I, can I speak to that person? Can I touch that person? Can I, you know, can I interact with, with this person? How am I going to get to the airport? you know, at the airport, am I safe? So all these kind of like security dilemmas in a person's mind um, start to really play down, you know, play, play against you when it comes to traveling again. Um, but, you know, the travel industry is very resilient uh, and, and this isn't the first time we've seen kind of a crisis such as this. Of course, not based on, 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 on let's say, a pandemic crisis, but we, we've certainly experienced it during the financial crisis as well, when people just had less money to spend. Um, but definitely, you know, we're still learning a lot about how this will take effect, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, other types of viruses out there, you've got Ebola, you had all these kind of other pandemic crises out there. They were all pretty isolated and very easy to kind of understand and contain to a certain degree. So I guess a lot of those modern ones yeah. were less infectious as well, weren't they? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's had an impact as well, uh, you know, had an impact at the time on you know, how people were traveling. Okay, you know, I won't travel to those parts of the world. I'll, I'll stay clear of them. I'll go elsewhere. But there was always a, an alternative or a plan B, uh, which isn't the case today. Yeah, I mean, go, going back to the um, resiliency of the industry and the, uh, the robustness of the uh, travel market, is there a case to say that these industries, these, these companies within the industry didn't actually save for a rainy day? Um, because obviously demand was flourishing heavily before 
this crisis sort of came into fruition. And in order to keep up, I guess you had to keep reinvesting within your company and keep up with the digital era and help the growth, you know, and the growth and the, um, the demand yet yeah, to sort of maintain that and keep up with the times of those we've seen in recent history, Some, you know, so many companies just start going bust. And is that kind of, is that, uh, is that sort of, um, is that showing a sort of a hole in their robustness? Or is that just the way the market was working? And was it almost like a bubble that was sort of moving too fast? Where, you know, you got a lot of companies now in trouble. We've seen BA, seen Ryanair, all these, you know, in Virgin. Is that kind of like a chink in their armor? They should have maybe saved for a rainy day to, to not foresee something like this coming, but just to handle a situation such as this. Yeah, I, th I think it's a really uh, interesting question. Um, you know, when you look at the travel industry, um, you know, uh, the margins and, and, and let's say profit uh, per booking is very different between different verticals within the travel kind of ecosystem, right? So you've got an airline that, that makes maybe a dollar per head, you know, for each person on that, you know, that's traveling on that plane. They're also exposed to, um, you know, uh, you know, oil shocks, right? So if the price becomes very high for oil, that's then also eats into their profit margins. And you've got, for example, you know, air tax, you know, carbon tax, all these things that really just destroy that bottom line for airlines. Uh, so, you know, they've definitely been affected, you know, in, in the worst way out of all of these, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, verticals within, within the, uh, the travel ecosystem. Um, you know, you've also got uh, the the OTAs, which are of course like uh, online travel agents such as uh, you know uh, Booking.com, you've got Airbnb, Expedia, uh, and the, the multiple domestic and regional OTAs that are present around the world. Um, you know, do I think to your question, do I think they were they were not ready for for, for something like this? Um, I completely agree. Uh, I think there was a sense of you know. Uh, uh, specifically for the OTAs, because for an OTA, right, you know, you're not, you don't own the property, you know, you don't, the, the accommodation, uh, you're essentially acting as a middleman for, for the accommodation, uh, right, in the online space and the offline space. So the physical asset uh, is not really a cost to the company per se. However, um, you are still kind of, let's say, um, exposed to the volatility of the world, but usually it happens in pockets, right? So for example, let's say, there is a crisis in Turkey or there is a crisis in, in one of these kind of top tourism destinations, people will just direct, you know, their travel experience elsewhere in the world. And if you're a global travel agent, such as Expedia or, or, or Booking or Airbnb, you're going to pick up that profit margin in another part of the world because while demand might drop for one destination, they're going to be moving to another one. In a situation like this, um, we've never seen something like this in the, in the industry happen before. Um, and yes, we have been caught down, you know, caught with our pants down uh, in this situation. Um, but it's it, it's definitely going to be, a, a, you know, let's say a bit of a Game of Thrones, really, uh, if I think about it, in terms of you know what might happen with with uh, uh, let's say consolidation in the market. Um, there are some companies, for example, Expedia, which are very acquisition focused, right? Um, they have a very large U.S. Uh, you know uh, brand share or share of mind in the US. Um, and they've, they've always been acquisition focused, right? So if you look at the Expedia group, you know, there's multiple kind of companies within that umbrella, you know, you've got Agencia, you've got Orbitz, you've got 
you know, HomeAway, all these kind of different companies that they've literally bought, you know, and that's of course come at a price, um, which means that, that, that let's say rainy day money um, has all, always been reinvested back into the company in the form of an acquisition. Um, so Expedia, for example, in a tricky spot, then you've got the likes of Airbnb and Airbnb is, you know, it's, it's pre IPO. Um, it's still, it's kind of trying to build its brand across the world. Um, its commission model is such that it's trying to ensure that both customers and accommodation partners are getting the best price and actually as a result, burning their own internal finances in order to kind of prop up those, those bookings and, and essentially be in a growth phase as opposed to a profitable phase. Um, and definitely they're going to suffer as well uh, in the short term while this crisis is going on. And then finally, in this trio or in this magic circle of, of, of OTAs, you've got Booking.com, uh, which it's also, you know, facing the similar problems to, to, to Airbnb and Expedia, for sure. Um, however, you know, the, the, the principle and logic of, of the company is, has often been pretty Dutch focused, right? So, you know, say for a rainy day, um, being pretty frugal with the way they spend, not very acquisition focused. But then at the same time, you know, you can have some cash, you know, some surplus, surplus cash. But ultimately, if the, the, the market doesn't, uh, you know, bounce back, then that cash can only take you so far. So really, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of what, what these companies are doing today is really to try and understand, okay, how can we, uh, you know, cut, cut our costs in, in the interim? You know, how can we, you know, whether it's employees, uh, unfortunately, or whether it's, um, you know, cutting down on online spends, um, or, or trying to kind of re, uh, you know, uh, you know, renegotiate commercials with with properties and accommodation owners, um, but yeah, definitely uh, they were not robust enough uh, on balance um, to kind of handle a crisis such as this. Wow, interesting stuff, Wayne. Um, yeah, so based on based on what you just mentioned, how how who who is in a worse off position? These uh, sort of sole OTAs, like the companies you mentioned, or companies which either act as an OTA and have their own fleet of airlines, aircrafts, or pure, you know, airlines itself, you know, companies like EasyJet, um, Ryanair, TUI, companies like that, which is uh, in a worse opposition because, like you mentioned, the OTAs, they don't really have these assets and things like that. They're kind of, um, you know, they're, they're not in, a, they don't seem in as much trouble, I guess, from what you said. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so the airlines are definitely the, 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 the most heaviest hit, right? So any company that is reliant on a plane to fly is essentially going through a tough time. You know, if you're an OTA that is flight focused, so, you know, you, you work on, you know, let's say flight meta search, um, you know, you're, you're, you're taking a big hit right now, you know, because there's no planes flying around, um, you know, and companies have of course laid off a lot here, you know, here and there, uh, uh, so, so I suppose you could say companies that have, uh, have, have kind of aligned themselves closer to the airline industry are definitely going to feel the heat more. Um, companies that have more of a hybrid model that, for example, rely on, on, on part airline business, part accommodation business, um, uh, are probably feeling less heat, but still definitely going through a tough time. Uh, and, 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 and definitely those that have, uh, let's say, kind of spread their um, you know, spread their basket, you know, widely. So you're looking at airlines, you're looking at accommodation, you're looking at car rent, or you're looking at experiences. Um, again, uh, depending on the ratio that, this, that, that, that that's being invested in each of these segments, 
um, you're still feeling the heat. Um, honestly, it's, it's, it's just a case of understanding, okay, where are, where are these, you know, where, uh, when our customer, when is customer sentiment, sorry, uh, likely to, to come back again into the market. And that essentially um, begins when a customer books their car or books their, 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 their flight. Um, uh, all the way through to when they're experiencing, you know, the Eiffel Tower or, or bungee jumping off a cliff in, in you know, in, in, in Brazil. Um, it all starts with that first kind of in, in initiation to, to, to start traveling. And if that intent is not there, then every single travel industry company uh, is certainly going to feel uh, uh, the pinch. Yeah, fair play. Uh, one, more, one more point on these OTAs um, that you mentioned. So obviously in the space of like almost a week, We've seen BA announce that they're going to cut 12,000 odd jobs. Um, Ryanair announcing, what, 3,000, something like that. Um, do you envisage the, these kind of um, action or, or, you know, action and the kind of numbers we're seeing in, in redundancies across these, I guess, airlines? Do you see that kind of thing being mirrored at all in OTAs going forward? Oh, most definitely. Um, definitely. I mean, if you look at uh, TripAdvisor, they've just laid off 25% of their workforce. Um, Expedia, uh, they've laid off 6,000 employees uh, across their, 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 their group. Um, there's also news that possibly, uh, possibly, you know, we can expect the same to occur from, from other ATAs such as booking possibly in the future. Um, it, it's definitely, you know, going to have an impact, right? Because if there's no, if there's no bookings being made, right, there's no revenue, there's no cash flow coming through, then you know, you, you still have the fixed cost of employees, you still have the fixed cost of offices, um, and companies grow as, as their, their bottom line grows. So it gets to a point where, you know, if, if let's say, for example, your company's, uh, you know, earnings drop 50%, it means that, that your resources are 50% uh, uh, oversupplied, right? So it, it's natural for there to be a shedding or a culling uh, of um, you know employees uh, across the travel industry during you know this kind of uh, time, but definitely uh, you know, it's important to mention that this is going to leave a lasting sentiment with people in the travel industry, especially employees, right? So um, understanding you know whether you know getting rid of you know let's say valuable staff you know valuable employees that are you know. That, that may never come back to that company because of a, you know, because they've been, you know, let off. Um, I think you've got to kind of balance, you know, forward planning with current planning. Um, you know, especially if you're, let's say, an online travel agent or, you know, you're, you're in the online space, e-commerce space, you know, uh, certain resources, certain people, you know, certain jobs such as developers, development, product, you know, th these, these are highly skilled, uh, this is a highly skilled workforce, right? Uh, and if you start removing them uh, and, and, and things start to get better, then you kind of are in a position where you also don't have the right kind of people uh, to kind of uh, grow when the time is right to start growing again. Um, so uh, definitely, you know, it's, it's kind of finding that balance. And I think these companies are trying to do that, to try and do what's right by their employees, but also keeping the company alive for the future, which is ultimately, uh, you know, what, what they're, they're looking out for, their, show, their shareholder value, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good example for um, like not only, you know, rolling with the times kind of and keeping up to date with everything, like whether it's a digital transformation and whatnot. For example, Thomas Cook, obviously, recently, um, you saw with them, it may have been a case they didn't react fast enough to the changes going on in the climate and uh, 
and the workplace and maybe that might cause them to lag behind um, in maybe in a digital sense so it is hard to make the argument then of saving for a rainy day per se when you're sort of reacting so dynamically and having to invest so much to keep ahead of all the competition um, it's an interesting thought um, I thought I thought we'd just go through a quick rundown of um, a whole 360 view of travel right so let's say the restrictions get lifted tomorrow for example or a few weeks and you know we want to run down we want to see with social distancing in place and different measures to alleviate this virus you know what major differences can we expect to see and uh, you know if you have any ideas of your own for example if we're going through a whole you know the whole sort of um, uh, cycle of a, of, a, of a holiday for example or any sort of travel so you could say you know from the airports to the airlines to accommodation maybe car rentals uh, tourist attractions sightseeing you know things like that if we run through maybe quickly with some of those points i'm intrigued to get your thoughts on how you see these um these different segments uh, being affected by the new measures yeah, definitely. So, you know, the way customers uh, are going to start traveling again will be very different, uh, you know, in 2020 compared to 2019. Uh, so, you know, at the moment, right now, a lot of, you know, all these segments, all these travel segments within the cycle, are, are, they're all trying to, to, to second guess what the consumer might do. Just, um, just a button there. Sorry, Wayne, yeah. just, a, just a quick one. Do you genuinely think, though, I mean, we'll come back to the 360 question, just a quick um, side note. Yeah. Do you gen genuinely think 2020 we will see travel restart? And I mean, like uh, as an industry, not maybe you know maybe domestic travel open, maybe business travel open, but as an industry, you know, holidays getting booked and having the whole 360 uh, segments that I just mentioned. <clears throat> Sorry. Do you do you feel that might that will actually happen in 2020? Yeah, I think it will happen. Uh, it will happen in pockets around the world for sure, and definitely it will depend on the type of uh, bit, you know travel segment that we're looking at here. You know, is it business? Is it leisure? Um, you know, uh, businesses, for example, are now experiencing you know uh, almost entire work from home policies, right, uh, based on government restrictions. Uh, this is this for some companies is is unheard of. They've never been okay with it. They've never accepted it, right? Working from home is in some cases has even been taboo. Right, or you must go into the office. Um, you know, with that in mind, um, you know, business travel will definitely change. Uh, in my opinion, it will shrink uh, as people will move further and further towards, you know, video conference calling and, and, and these kind of online, uh, you know, mediums to kind of have their, their, their meetings and so on. Because uh, business is still running, uh, you know, across, across the world. Of course, it's shrunk slightly in, in, in most verticals, um, but it is happening. So, we can expect business travel for sure to, to, to reduce uh, significantly over time. Um, leisure travel for sure. Um, you know, if we look at the, you know, the, the, the calendar year, we can expect it based on seasons, based on, on, on the market dynamics per country, we can expect there to be a, uh, you know, an, an increase in travel as restrictions start to reduce. But indeed, the way that a customer will travel um, will vary significantly. And then, you know, add to that, you know, cultural, you know, cultural changes, um, you know, for example, in Far East Asia, um, they're a bit more kind of, let's say, uh, you know, th th this isn't their first rodeo when it comes to, you know, a virus, right? 
um, they experienced SARS, they experienced MERS uh, in, uh, in South Korea. Um, but that didn't deter them from, from, uh, um, you know, from, from booking, you know, holidays and flights, um, you know, after, the, after this, were, you know, after it was contained. So we do have some case studies and some, some best practice to suggest that some markets will open up, um, you know, as soon as the kind of travel restrictions uh, uh, start to, 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 to relax. But of course, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what we can't forget here is that it's still very early days when it comes to this pandemic. So we don't really know, you know, is there going to be a second wave? Is there going to be a third wave? When is a vaccine likely to come? And, and will government restrictions, uh, uh, you know, tighten once released, um, you know, seasonally, right? So that really causes, uh, you know, a big pain point for customers, right? If they're planning, trying to book something in advance, you know, it becomes tricky, right? You book something, let's say in October, and uh, in, in you know, someone from the UK books in Spain, but then there's a lockdown that happens, let's say two, three weeks before you, f you, you fly because of let's say a second wave, then that kind of reduces consumer confidence in traveling, right? Um, I, I do think it's, it's, it's early days and, and, and time will tell, uh, you know, how each market, each economy uh, reacts to this. Um, but as I said earlier, um, you know, domestic travel we believe is likely to be the first part of this or, you know of the, of the travel uh, space to, to increase um and we can expect that to happen as as um, you know countries start to, to 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 win win this war against the against covid19 absolutely absolutely i know air canada i read something uh, earlier they were saying they expect uh, travel to return by christmas this year so yeah, we'll see what happens watch the space uh, yeah, so going back to the previous question, like we said, having a little 360 of the whole travel experience, getting your points of view on uh, current measures and potential new measures coming to fruition, what do we think will happen? Let's start with the airports, because that's never a, never a nice experience, I think, for the, for the majority of consumers. It's always kind of a chore and a lot of queuing and waiting and uh, generally not a nice experience. So what can we expect? More queues or do we see a whole new revolution, revolutionary uh, concept to how we... Uh, travel through airports i guess to get on the plane yeah absolutely um you know uh, you know airports have come a long way over time in terms of trying to become more efficient uh when it comes to allowing more people to pass through uh you know the, the, the these 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 ports um and travel the world right um but i do believe that there will be kind of a revolutionized process and and and, and innovation will be needed as a necessity to kind of handle and 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 let's say keep consumer confidence high. Um, so I mean, it's also it's also yeah, been right. a bit of a bottleneck, isn't it? I mean, with the amount of uh, consumers traveling, you know, absolutely grown, shot up. That's created, uh, you know, obviously a lot more um, people building up in airports, obviously on any given day. And then obviously uh, extra security measures which have come into place over the last, you know, uh, two decades based on you know world events, like terrorism, etc. It's kind of become a bottleneck, isn't it? So I think something drastically has to change, revolutionary almost, and uh, innovative. But that, that just seems really, yeah, it seems like a bit of a pipe dream at the moment, especially now for adding social distancing into it. Most definitely. 100% uh, agree with you, you know, on both those points. Um, you know, when terrorism, you know, started happening, you know, uh, we started seeing a kind of clamp down on, on uh, you know, uh, let's say security. And that was certainly a bottleneck um, that we saw. 
um, given what's happened today, you know, in, in today's uh, day and age, you know, with COVID, we'll, we'll definitely see, um, you know, one of two things happening here. And it really depends on how well these airports uh, and, and airlines are able to kind of, um, you know, be smart with how they kind of take on board customers, right? Um, with, with airports, you know, you've got, you've got uh, uh, you know, let's say three hours before you fly, right? And they suggest you be at the airport. I reckon, you know, it's likely that they'll try and, uh, you know, work towards a more just-in-time kind of solution where when it comes to, you know, getting to the airport, you know, they might try and find ways to reduce that three hours to two, uh, for example, and try and figure out ways uh, that they can reduce the, 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 the customer's, uh, you know, uh, time within the airport without reducing their, 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 their profit, uh, their, their, their bottom line when it comes to duty-free. Um, this is something that they're going to have to try and think about. It's certainly a massive challenge. Um, and and I'm sure, you know, I think it's not just the airports, but also the governments have to kind of step in and, and, and kind of help, uh, you know, uh, airports with finding ways to ensure that people that are traveling are, are safe, but also, um, uh, you know, if they are, for example, uh, infected with, with, with a virus such as COVID-19, um, you know, how can we spot them? How can we ensure that you know, uh, you know, people are not traveling with this, with, with, uh, with, with this virus, you know, around the world through these, these airports, uh, you know, especially the large ones like London Heathrow. Um, so, you know, I do think that there might be digital passports. Uh, there might be some kind of, let's say, um, bio, uh, you know, biotech, you know, user ID that, that will allow customers to, um, you know, let government officials and airports know that they have had certain tests uh, uh, and and they are clear of, of these kind of things, and ensure let's say kind of on a at a global level that everyone abides by a similar principle, so that you know traveling becomes let's say um, safer in terms of consumer consumer mindset. Mm, that's an interesting point. I mean, firstly, I, I understand the just in time approach, and it is in theory a good idea. But the problem is, we all know going to an airport. The amount of times you see your flight delayed for whatever reason, imagine the sort of backlog that will cause. Like, if you're telling uh, customers getting on this flight, you know, you get here X amount of time before, and we'll take off, and then maybe another flight coming in tandem. You know, obviously they'll work on uh, you know more than a one by one basis, but imagine then having telling to tell all the subsequent flights, this one flight's been delayed, your flight's been pushed back by X amount of time your flights been pushed back. Do you know what I mean? So that kind of effect kind of seems even less efficient uh, as, as things currently stand. Obviously, there could be other ways to improve that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see, again, how that will uh, sort things out in the modern sort of world. But obviously, you know, things can change. Um, yeah, yeah, true. With, no, it's a fair yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, just to no. add there, just to add to, to that point, um, and I agree, uh, when it comes to, um, uh, you know, uh, there's an ideal solution, <laughs> which is that, yeah, you know, we'll find a way to kind of reduce the time. Yeah, ensure absolutely. That the bottleneck is not there. But then there is the realism here as well, which is okay to do this in practice. Uh, it's likely to be, you know, pretty tough. Um, you know, there are a lot of airports that are trying to revolutionize also uh, the way that uh, they check people, they monitor people when it comes to, you know, infectious diseases. So, for example, you know, some airports, um, uh, some ports around the world today, they've started putting heat sensors 
uh, during security to try and catch people that have, let's say, fever and temperature um, so that they can kind of monitor, you know, who's going in and out of the airport and try and clamp down on, on, on spreads around the world. And, and these kind of steps, again, you know, are going to slowly create innovation, maybe at a snail's pace uh, in, uh, in uh, the, the, these airports to kind of move, yeah, move them forward. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I mean, I'm playing the role of a realist where I'm trying to get your nice, innovative, revolutionary ideas. So don't mind me with these uh, questions, yeah. Uh, absolutely <laughs> um, not. All right, so based on that point then, um, I know, yeah, you're talking about the thermoscanners, the guns that have been used across various airports. And like you said, that does measure if a, a customer, a, a person's got a fever or temperature, et cetera. Um, however, obviously, one thing we know about this virus is that a lot of people can be asymptomatic and you may not actually have a fever, but you still may be a carrier of this virus. So I guess that again will have to be looked at and maybe as a, it might help clamp down on a certain percentage of, uh, of people who are infected, but obviously it won't capture the whole population. Um, one, one thing which you mentioned about the um, bioscanning, I think I read somewhere today or yesterday, the EU were looking into potentially opening well, after lockdown potentially open their borders and having almost like a covid stamp to say whether it's safe or not for you to travel whether you've had the disease or not um and almost having a, a tracking sort of device on that now that brings up a host of issues you know ethically and uh, government surveillance so that, that that's a whole topic in itself and i know a lot of people will be opposed to that and also the the stamp to say whether you've had COVID or not, obviously, again, at this current moment in time, we don't know if that means anything. We don't know if that means you're genuinely immune from it. We don't know if you're immune from any strains which may develop going forward from it. So I guess all they're doing is throwing out ideas because that's all you can do at this time. But like I said, playing devil's advocate, none of those solutions obviously seem viable and complete at this moment in time, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you think about the the you know, what, what, what is the reason? Why, why are we doing this? And, and especially um, when, you know, you mentioned Europe, um, Europe in itself, uh, the, the, the very nature of it is that there are no barriers to entry for Europeans. You know, if you're someone in, in France, you can go to Spain, you can go to Germany by car, you can go to Portugal. Um, the whole concept of, of, of the European Union has been one of unity. It's been one of, you know, open you know, open trade, open, uh, you know, open flow of people um, can, 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 can kind of travel around. And, and this kind of uh, pandemic uh, really damages that, that principle to the, to the core, right? Um, where, you know, these, these nation states have to kind of think, okay, well, we, we are part of the EU, but, you know, we've got a pandemic on our hands and we want to make sure that people, are, you know, uh, that are traveling between, between countries are not carrying you know the, this virus with them, um, so that's the challenge at hand. How you know how uh, effective you know these kind of principles are um, to to try and cull or cull the tide or, or stop the spread of these kind of things happening now, but also in the future, is very challenging, especially when it treads on the toes, as you, as you said, of you know. Uh, data protection, you know, uh, you know, liberties of of of, uh, of, of people. Um, I suppose it's trying to understand the balance between a, a common collective um, and uh, and and one's independence or one's one's own self, right? Um, 
if you if, if if I think just about myself and I you know I go okay I'm, I want to I want to be able to go wherever I want irrespective of my condition, um, that that's maybe one extreme, right? The other the other extreme is okay um, you know not no one you know I'm I'm a government no one can 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 everyone must have you know a fingerprint everyone must have a a bio scan or bio ID everyone must do these take these actions must have a stamp. Um, Again, that's extremely controlled, extremely uh, restricted. So trying to find the right balance between the two is super important. But I would like to, to stress on a couple of things there. Now, if you look at the world and the way this COVID scenario has happened, right? The countries that are more planned have been able to handle this more effectively than those that are, let's say, more free or more, more, more prone to, let's say, the flaws of, of, of let's say, free democracy and, and, and liberty, right? Um, nobody can stop me doing something, uh, which as long as I'm not breaking the law uh, uh, in, in the US, right? Or, or, or all these places. And as you can see, you've got two parallel worlds, right? You've got the US with massive number of cases, uh, and then you've got um, the supposed numbers of China, which are significantly less. Um, the way that they handle these, these, you know, these kind of pandemics is, is gonna be super important moving forward. Yeah, awesome, interesting stuff, Wayne. Um, all right, well, running through that 360 uh, travel path that we mentioned, let's move on to aircrafts, right? Um, I think this would be one of the more difficult things to sort of uh, manage, obviously being in a, a small mailbox filled with people, how do you social distance? I mean, I was literally reading an article a couple of days by the Washington Post, they done a, they reported on this visualization which was portrayed by um, Purdue University and it was shown basically how droplets from a single cough can infect an entire plane, right? And it's just obviously as something maybe common knowledge, but seeing that visually, it really opens your up and it's kind of like a stark reminder of how difficult it may be in a COVID-19 world to travel in an aircraft. So, you know, where's, what's your thoughts and potential innovations to moving forward post-lockdown in, in an aircraft? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when it comes to, to, to airlines today, um, they're definitely having to think out of the box very quickly on how they can get consumer confidence, right? If you think about the dynamics of an aircraft, they're designed to, 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 to pack as many people as possible per, per square inch you know, uh, on, on the, those planes. Um, so the, 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 the standard or traditional setup of a plane has never really been about keeping people away. They're all kind of like in the sardine can uh, and kind of they're trying to economize on space, on weight, on fuel, uh, which all has an impact on the bottom line for these airlines, right? Uh, so, but they will have to change. They'll have to change the way that they, they, they approach, um, you know, flying. Um, they're going to have to change their aircrafts. They're going to have to modify and re revamp the, the, the very structures of these planes. Right. And some some airlines are already starting to do this. Right. You've got Qatar Airways and some of the kind of Middle Eastern carriers that have already begun trying to understand, OK, how can we change the, the dynamics in our aircrafts to, 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 to ensure customers feel confident that, you know, the person sitting next to them is not going to give them a virus. Now, um, you know, some concepts have been I've been, I've been super interesting, for example, uh, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, I believe it's Qantas has, has, has created a, con a concept where let's say each seat will, will be, would be inverse to each other uh, and have let's say a plastic sheet around them 
uh, uh, that kind of would would cover them from from their neighbors uh, on uh, uh, from from any, any kind of let's say infectious disease coming at you or any kind of coughing or any kind of uh, you know uh, uh, any kind of disease coming your way. So so planes are already starting you know so so, so, so airlines are already starting to try and figure out how they can you know uh, what a future concept could look like. Um, interestingly, right you know um, the aisle seat traditionally has been a really, uh, let's say, um, popular seat for, 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 for travelers. You know, get up, you can go to the loo, stretch your legs, um, you know. Yeah, that's uh, my favorite seat, mate. Oh, absolutely, mine too. Um, but but if you look at, it, if you look at um, what this, this kind of pandemic is gonna, gonna create, no, I want that window seat. <laughs> I, I wanna be away from the aisle. I wanna be, you know, you know so the very dynamics of, of, of how customers will look at, 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 at you know, being in a plane, you know, because you, you could have someone walking by and they just cough on you, for example. So, so, so every aspect from, from, from the, the design of the plane uh, to how customers enter the plane to um, what kind of food they'll serve. So, for example, um, you know, there, there's likely to be a reduction in the, in, in the amount of food that is served on planes to reduce the, the, the possibility of contamination and therefore reduce the possibility of you getting an infection. And this is something that some airlines have already begun doing. So reducing the actual portion sizes and, and the number of meals that they serve on a plane uh, to reduce that kind of, let's say, uh, contact with the, with the hostesses, uh, but also um, from, from, from the, the food packages and the, themselves. Uh, so these kind of measures are already being taken place in the short term. Uh, in the long term, we can continue to see um, changes in, in, uh, in, the, in, in the way that, for example, people queue. Uh, to, to enter and board a plane, uh, we can imagine uh, that that uh, you know the process of boarding a plane might become uh, uh, you know uh, much longer than it than it is today, and that's already a painful process. Mm. I mean that that would also infer um, exiting a plane, right? Because you see when you're exiting, when the seatbelt signs come off, everyone scrambles on top of each other to get their luggage, and it's um, it's like a big bundle. So that you can see that obviously increasing the time spent to exit plane, which like you said, is already quite painful. Um, I mean, if you have these plastic casings that you're talking about, again, what would you go from pod to pod and say, you know, this casing you can now be released, et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you see this plastic casing working? Is it almost like a first class design you see, where you have your, you know, you can pull up the little uh, barrier and you're sort of segregated from, from the rest of the, uh, the plane, if you like, uh, get some privacy how, how do you envisage this working especially in economy yeah definitely i think i think the the, the pod system uh is is certainly um something which would be relevant for every class on a plane if you think about the actual economics of of uh you know profitability for an airline for you know depending on, on the segment which they're in, in which they're, they're they're based let's say it's a legacy carrier um which is maybe a bit more elite or a bit more prime um, or if it's a, an LCC, which is a low-cost carrier, such as Ryanair and EasyJet, where it's all of cost, uh, all, all of course, you know, kind of, uh, you know, below economy standard, right? In in all scenarios, what we see is that the basic saver class economy seats, that's what drives the bottom line for airlines, right? The the odd business class here and there, the the average return on that seat is much higher, of course, but in terms of the volumes. 
generated from the economy uh, seating area. That's, yeah, that's quant quantity of equality that is, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's just the volumes game, right? So when it comes to the, this kind of bubbling, right, or, or this kind of, let's say, uh, you know, plastic sheeting or pod system, as he said quite rightly, I think that that's definitely something which um, could help uh, to, for sure to kind of, uh, you know, reduce uh, the amount of, let's say, respiratory viruses that, that you're, you're um, uh, let's say, exposed to across an eight hour journey, right? As you're crossing, you know, if you're doing a 3000 mile journey on a, on a plane, right? That, there's, there's, there's multiple ways that you can, or multiple touch points in which you can, you know, get some kind of, let's say, disease or some kind of like infection. So, so these pods will help to a certain degree. How well these are cleaned after each use is going to be even more important. There'll be a lot of scrutiny, uh, massive amounts of scrutiny on the hygiene of these planes, which has for the, for the longest time been a little bit shoddy, to be honest, um, you know, but just because of the routes, right? You know, a plane is in, it's out in half an hour, right? And, you know, cleaning might take 10 minutes, 15 minutes. After this, you know, cleaning, let's say that kind of pod system or cleaning the plane in general, you know, is likely to take a lot longer. Um, this probably also means that the, the, the number of flights per, per day for an airline might also reduce um, uh, 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 substantially because, of course, they would need to be cleaned, disinfected regularly uh, uh, between, uh, uh, you know, between uh, flights. So that, that's, uh, in a nutshell, you know, I think that's, that's one of the ways that, that uh, you know, these airlines will, will, will try and kind of contain, you know, the spread of diseases on their planes. Mm, yeah, interesting. I mean, one, one going back to one of your points when you mentioned you'd rather be on a, a window seat as opposed to an aisle. Like I said, looking at that Washington Post article where it literally gives you a vis visualization of someone, whether it be a cough or an infection, doesn't matter. The way it spreads across the whole plane, it was it's quite eye opening actually. And I, I personally think, yeah, it doesn't really matter whether you're a window or aisle. I think if you're not protected in some 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 sort of fashion going forward, like maybe the pod system they like mentioned or something like that you're going to get something or you're going to be susceptible to catch something. Um, do you see something like, um, you know, you, if you go to a plane, you might get a little welcome pack filled with a sleep mask and uh, maybe some earplugs and some circulation socks, for example. Do you see being added into that pack potentially uh, a mask of some sort? Not sleep mask, I mean, to cover the, the respiratory sort of uh, indicators. Yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, government government uh, uh, guidelines are likely to include, you know, wearing a mask on a plane in the future. Um, so airlines, um, either by choice or not, uh, as the case might be, um, will for sure start packing, uh, they'll for sure start packing masks, um, uh, possibly sanitizers as well, um, you know, sanitizer gel in those packets, um, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, uh, ensuring that, you know, hygiene levels are, 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 are at their, their best or, or best possible. Of course, every person is, is very different, right? I think we've all experienced uh, a, pretty, uh, a pretty scary trip to the toilet on a, 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 on a plane, right? And it makes <laughs> you kind of second guess humanity uh, when you see the state of some of these toilets on these planes. But you know, even, even, the use <laughs> even the use to them, right? Even the use of these toilets, that might change as well. They might say, okay, uh, for, for short routes, you can't, you can't get, get in a toilet. <laughs> only for emergencies right or, or, or an emergency uh, health health risk or something like that just because th these are breeding grounds for germs and, and, and infections they might they might take the approach of having you know when you go like out clubbing or something and you've got one of those um, 
people in the male toilets who are you know sitting there with aftershave and uh, shouting out their their little rhymes and looking for a, looking for some change. They could have one of those um, who are obviously fully masked up, gloved up, with their cleaning supplies in their hand, and literally after each usage, they go in there and they give it the once over, you know, fully decontaminize it, or whatever, and uh, let the next person go in. But um, who knows, man? Like you said, that's obviously a, a big topic, uh, the toilet thing as well, I'm saying. <clears throat> um, so all these ideas you've sort of mentioned, in the short term, they don't seem uh, feasible. Like obviously, literally restructuring the seating and changing how the actual interior of an aircraft will look and function. I think um, more in the short term, if I'm just giving my opinion, if you want to start traveling again, I think all I can see is that, all right, first of all, you reduce the capacity of an aircraft by half, for example. So you don't sit directly next to someone. You may sit in a brick lane pattern. You may sit two in front, separated by a seat, and then one in the seat behind, and two, etc. Um, and I think everyone, maybe they'll get given proper surgical gloves and maybe even real proper gas masks. Do you know what I mean? Like you're wearing these gas masks and you're not allowed to take them off, off for the duration of the flight. And you'll have the social, social distancing measures when it comes to queuing, going onboarding and offboarding the plane, etc. But that's the only thing I can see in the short term. Do you know I mean, real drastic um, appliances being used on the consumer as opposed to making adjustments to the plane because that obviously takes time to uh, redesign and uh, you know change the way the interior looks for example but yeah it's a it's a tough one there's no easy solution to that is there yeah i mean ultimately um you know they want to you know they, they want the virus or, or people that have the virus or, or, or these kind of infectious diseases to be caught before they enter the plane right so pre prevention uh, you know get, get it, catching you know people that could be infectious before they enter a plane is, is probably uh, uh, one of the kind of let's say first barriers or first line support to ensure that the likelihood of people that could be infected should not enter that plane in the first place. Absolutely. So it's definitely going to be a, a, you know, a, a kind of collective uh, commitment from airlines, from airports, from governments, and from people uh, to kind of you know, ensure that you know, if someone has, has got symptoms, but they've got a plane to catch, look, okay, maybe you don't fly that day. Um, maybe there is a way, as long as you can prove that you have this infection uh, or, or some kind of uh, illness, that, that the, the, the airline will, will, will refund your money or will say, okay, you can, you can uh, spend this later in the year. Um, because essentially you're ensuring that the safety of, of, of their business as well as the safety of other people. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, especially rate, rate categories with, with, with uh, uh, you know, airlines. I think the way that, that, that they've been so far has been kind of okay non-refundable, uh, refundable. Um, it's been very kind of, let's say, static. But I reckon moving forward, uh, again, another way that they can ensure that, 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 that they're doing their part as an airline to try and ensure, you know, the least amount of infectious people are traveling when things start to open up and we, so that we can avoid a second wave could be to ensure that it becomes easier for people um, should they prove or be able to prove um, uh, what, where they're, you know, you know, whether if they have the infections or they have some kind of symptoms um, to, to, to be able to, you know, uh, have more flexibility financially uh, with a flight ticket. Yeah, absolutely.
All right, awesome. Some good points there on the airlines and uh, we'll wait to see what happens there. Uh, moving through that cycle, 360 travel, like I mentioned. All right, let's look at car rentals now, okay? So let's say you've, you've just landed, you've got out of the airport, you normally, you might jump in a cab, you might have a private car waiting for you, you might have a shuttle bus or some form of public transport, maybe jump on a train, metro system, whatever. Obviously with social distancing and people's fears and whatnot, um, I know you mentioned something about car rentals. How do you feel that sort of industry being affected by all this? And do you see, because uh, obviously the, all, the, all the examples I gave just now, they definitely will reduce, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at some of the kind of global leaders when it comes to, um, you know, car, you know, car rentals, specifically in the online space, right? You've got the likes of rentalcars.com, you've got Hertz, you've got, um, you know, all these kind of like ride, you know, uh, you know, ride, you know, ride companies out there, which are um, right now taking a massive loss, right? They're, they're just in, as, in just about a situation, a situation as let's say, uh, you know, an airline at this point, um, you know, so, you know, the way people, you know, I think across that, you know, if you think about a vehicle, a car vehicle, like just, you know, in general, right, whether, whether they're renting the car, whether they're hailing the car through Uber or Lyft or, or one of these services, the trust is in getting in a car that could have be infected, right? Or, or, you know, once you get in that car, where exactly can you go, especially in the short term, right, when they've got these lockdowns? So, it's it's kind of like in a way similar a similar concept a similar principle to a, to, to uh, you know an airline but without the time waiting and, and going to an airport factor right you know ensuring that these these cars are clean or, or these vehicles are clean um, you know there are there are hygiene tests there probably will be a new kind of let's say review or rating um, on 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 the cleanliness of cars um, or vehicles before you you take them on. Um, and and uh, you know that that will also appear on as a, as a user experience, right? On 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 the you know uh, on on the front end uh, for, for some for some websites, you know. Oh, okay, um, I want a five. You know, I want an Audi. Tick that box. You know, I want I want to make sure that it's got a five star hygiene rating. Um, they'll probably put as you know as I said uh, for, for 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 planes, they'll probably put you know uh, gloves, masks, uh, um, you know, sanitizers possibly in in the car as a standard feature. Uh, uh, moving forward, especially if you if you if you're in in a in a ride hailing car and you've got a you know an Uber driver for example, you know ensuring that that they're giving you um, you know some comfort in in their in their hygiene, ensuring that let's say an Uber driver has uh, you know cleaned their car regularly and and maybe you know there is some kind of mechanism or way for these kind of online ride hailing companies to to check and monitor this or certainly. Um, uh, help to kind of relieve that consumer confidence getting into into one of these vehicles. On the other hand, uh, though, you know, you've got um, people that will be less happy to take public transport, and that's also a factor here, right? So, if I'm trying to get, if I if I'm, you know, once travel opens up and I want to go to Paris or if I want to go to to mainland Europe from the UK, um, I might decide to take the car because I'm less likely to. Um, uh, to, 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 to meet other people that maybe have not taken the right precautions uh, when it comes to infectious diseases. Um, and but that, that, that's one thing, I guess, if you're traveling domestically or yeah. um, even, you know, like if across America, for example, you can just take your car and drive from one end of the country to the other. 
go to Canada, Mexico, all this stuff. Same in Europe, realistically, even if you're on an island like the UK, you can pretty much travel to uh, all, of, all of Europe from there, uh, maybe not Iceland. Um, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely feasible, I guess. It's more the long, long haul flights, isn't it? Once they reopen, um, getting from to and fro from, your, from the airport to your accommodation, for example, or, you know, wherever you're going, tours and all this, would you just decide to just take it upon yourself and your family? stick yourselves in one car as opposed to get a driver who you don't know and who you don't, you don't know you know what he's carrying if anything or get on public public transport which probably seems the least likely option i guess during this time yeah absolutely i mean we we are we are accountable for our own you know personal hygiene and our personal kind of let's say um you know health so if I'm to take my own car, I can be certain of, of that, that I've taken all the precautions that, I've that I need to take when I enter it, right? I can't, I can't rely on, on, on another person, right? So when it comes to that, you know, you, it's an ideally, yeah, but, it, you know, in practice, you know, it's very difficult, you know, to understand that. So, yeah, for sure, um, you know, uh, it's also intrinsically tied with domestic travel, right? Like, you know, as I said earlier, we expect domestic travel to increase first. Um, uh, as opposed to international. And in terms of domestic travel, um, we expect, you know, car rentals uh, and, and, and vehicle hire uh, to be, uh, you know, kind of grow, grow with that same trajectory. So that's the main mode of transport that people will take to get up and down a country. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to the next point. Um, let's talk about accommodation. And accommodation, obviously, there's loads of different types of it. Um, for argument's sake, let's just stick with hotels for now. <clears throat> Sorry. So how do you see hotels handling the social distancing measures and yeah, just generally handling this, uh, this crisis? I mean, you'll see, you know, it's restaurants and bars. I guess you won't get many people packed up together, sitting next to each other, close quarters. Um, even swimming pools, like, do you see there being like, I don't know, start putting in lanes in the swimming pools, et cetera, or, you know, only allowing a certain amount of people in at a time. How do you see it affecting hotels in the short term? Sure. So, you know, hotel owners today are, are massively impacted by this virus, right? They've got, you know, the hoteliers, they've got massive fixed costs, right? They've got to keep, you know, the electricity going, they've got to keep their, 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 their water going, they've got to keep... Uh, you know, the general upkeep of, uh, you know, of, of, of paint work and, and all that kind of stuff and ensuring that their swimming pools and whatever facilities they essentially have, there's a cost attached to keeping it, to, to, to its upkeep. So the fact that in many cases, you know, these hotels, hotel, hoteliers have been absolutely smashed by this virus, right? Um, they're going to have, they're having to think very quickly and very fast on how, you know, when things do start picking up, how they will again keep that consumer consumer confidence high what kind of measures can they take and if you look at a hotel today right you, know, you might have seen them yourself you know you see them on 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 the on these youtube kind of clips and videos out there you know people that that, that are hired by hotels you know they're a mixed bunch you know they could be doing their job as they should do uh, or they could just be literally not following process and principles. I, I don't know if you saw um, uh, a, couple of, a couple of months ago before, this, before the crisis, you know, there was a five-star Chinese hotel where people 
uh, where, where the staff were, were using the same brush that they used to clean the toilets to also clean, um, you know, the sink to also, uh, you know, yeah. And, and you, you also have people, some vindictive people out there that also have been, you know, using people's toothbrushes to, to you know, that, you know, to, to, to clean the, the, the you know, the, the bog. Oh, that's grim. That's grim. Yeah, it's grim. <laughs> Absolutely grim. Um, how how can you even monitor that? Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's just disgusting. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely vile. And how can you monitor it? Um, you can't. Uh, and that's the that's the honest truth. Uh, you know, you can't have a camera in a person's room. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's uh, it's it's uh, you know data protection. You know, uh, and all that kind it's of illegal, stuff. Isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely illegal. Um, you know, so uh, well unless you're making a porno, but I mean that's that's a different case, but. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially, um, you know, facilities or shared facilities are likely to be less used um, with time. Uh, and, and I think hotels that have these shared facilities are going to need to, um, you know, really rethink how they go about, um, you know, allowing customers to use those, you know, either they allow you know, a certain number of people or a certain amount of their inventory to use those facilities uh, on, on alternative days, for example, in the short term, or, or for example, ensuring that they, they are, you know, they've got someone coming and sanitizing and, and disinfecting uh, the, these, these uh, social areas um, on a regular basis. In all scenarios, this means more costs for, a, for, for an accommodation owner. Um, a hotel has maybe 100 rooms, 200 rooms, 10 rooms, of course, but they have, you know, multiple rooms, right? And, and the upkeep of these rooms and, you know, it just means that you increase your chances of, of, of getting, you know, uh, you know some, some, some hygiene level slipping through the net. Um, you know, if you compare, let's say, a hotel to, you know, uh, you know an apartment, right? Or um, let's say a vacation rental spot. Um, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite difficult to say, you know, whether people will have a preference on a certain accommodation type moving forward. You know, if you've got a hotel on one hand, they've got a service, they've got a process, they've got a flow on hygiene and they've got a process on, 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 on how these things should, should run. They probably have more capital than your homeowner to kind of ensure that they are taking the necessary steps. Um, on the other hand, there are obviously a lot more people, a lot more uh, contacts, a lot more, let's say, touch points, which can, can result in, uh, in, in an infectious disease uh, being, 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 being had. So I guess this is like, sorry, sorry, Karen. Yeah, I was going to say, whereas a homeowner might be, you know, just that one, you know, that one person living in that home, uh, less people, less contact uh, to other people, and, you know, maybe, maybe easier to contain and, and to, and to mm. manage. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to what you were saying about shared services and shared locations having a potentially, you know, a Airbnb or a villa where the responsibility just lies with you and your family to keep it clean. Obviously, prior to moving in there, you'd hope that they'll be clean, but you don't have to worry about other people in your space and potentially, you know, that risk factor coming to contact with these kind of people. So you, you might see an increase in those kind of... Uh, uh, accommodations you know when people go on holiday as opposed to hotels yeah definitely um and if, if you think about uh you know destination also matters here a lot as well uh you know some people might be you know 
uh, more happy to rent a hotel in in uh, let's say the countryside uh, or or to, to to stay in a in a home or apartment uh, somewhere away from other people, right? So what we might start seeing as well, for example, is a shift in in uh, in holiday type holiday destination that people will want to be away from others possibly uh you know so moving to places or, or going to places where um you know are a bit more rural um you know city breaks might become less relevant in the future where people probably i want to you know might not want to be around you know let's say uh, a large number of people that you know where, where where these things you know these infections can can, can spread more easier right and the data also suggests that as well you know, regional, uh, let's say, tier two, tier three, tier four cities in, in certain countries are, are likely to um, see a, a, a large increase in demand uh, in the long run as people try and move away or get away from these kind of, uh, you know, high-risk high areas. Mm. Very interesting. Awesome. All right. Um, last point on this um, 360 travel sort of itinerary which covers all the base points i guess the last point is sightseeing now there's obviously a number of different tourist attractions uh sightseeing areas regions wherever that will be affected by this because they solely rely on tourists for you know uh, maintaining revenues etc now how do you see these being affected how do you see these being operated moving forward do you even see a lot of these existing because it's still still remaining because you know they might be so so um so struck by this lockdown they may not they may cease to exist so what's your thoughts on these sort of tourist attractions in certain regions of the world and um in general i guess if you look at countries um which rely and thrive their economy relies and thrives on tourism of their beaches and other 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 parts of of that, like, you know, Portugal, Croatia, Greece, for example, Italy even, how do you see it all sort of tying in together economically? And I guess they might be considered a small business, but they're a niche business because they rely on a certain type of consumer. Yeah, definitely. So experiences in general, it's quite interesting actually. So, you know, being in the industry, um, you know, what, what, we, what I've seen is that you know, all the OTAs on the planet today, you know, they were relying or banking on experiences being their next, let's say, golden child for growth moving forward. And so you might have seen Airbnb, Booking.com, uh, you know, uh, uh, new companies such as, uh, 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 such as Kluk, uh, which had a, you know, 300, 400 million dollar investment uh, into, into, into getting set up by the, uh, um, uh, by, by the, uh, the vision fund of, of the Saudis. Um, or for example, get your guide. All these companies were, were kind of, let's say, vying for this kind of untapped or almost seen as untapped, very offline space, which hadn't really been captured uh, before COVID. And a lot of resources were going into trying to consolidate that market and, and capture that, that slice of the pie, which, which has traditionally uh, been super offline. You know, if you go to Rome today, um, you know, half your tours and, and operators are people um, you know, people that you're just meeting on the street, you know, as soon as you land at that destination, you know, they're, they're saying, hey, come, come for this tour, come for that tour. Um, so capturing that market was super important for, 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 for these, uh, these online travel agents moving forward. Um, COVID has struck 
And as a result, um, all of that, all of that work, all of that hard work they put into trying, trying to capture this space, whether it's, you know, employees um, throwing products at the, at the solution, you know, or solutions, solutions to the problem, post booking during your, let's say, Expedia booking process or whatever it might be, you know, you know, you might have been cross sold the widgets, you know, in your email saying, oh, you know, uh, seeing that you're booking, you know, you're, 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 you're staying at this hotel. Why don't you try going to, let's say, the Eiffel Tower or go bungee jumping here or, or sightseeing in general? That whole process has been shattered. So, you know, we've already seen, you know, you know that whole department's being laid off uh, in, in these companies, um, you know, as a result of not seeing any kind of traffic or, or people traffic on the ground um, to support these kind of very, very physical, very, very, um, let's say upfront uh, kind of experiences. So definitely there'll be consolidation that a lot of company, uh, co companies will go bust as a result of this. Um, you know, the way people experience things will certainly change massively. And I, th I think if you, if you, you know, if you think about what people are, are looking to do, you know, uh, with their experiences, the way that they, they, they want to experience the world will also change. Um, you know, uh, some, some, you know, anything that is more social or more people inclined that they might decide to move further away from that kind of experience. Uh, they might start looking at more kind of, let's say, non, uh, you know, non-social uh, uh, kind of uh, experiences in a destination or maybe not even leave their own home when they, when they try and experience that or, or their hotel or their apartment. Awesome. Very interesting stuff. Nice one, man. Um, some real good points there, real interesting topics. Um, uh, yeah, we appreciate your sort of expertise in all this. I uh, want one question, uh, which is kind of relevant today as well is an individual case. I was wondering if you could give us any thoughts and any, um, any knowledge on this situation surrounding Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Australia, and uh, Richard Branson himself? You know, they were seeking a UK government bailout. I think Virgin Australia um, has basically gone down, is if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think he was he was he was saying he would he would put up his house and residence in uh, Necker Island, in the Virgin Islands, as uh, as collateral for a UK bailout. What 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 can you tell us about that? And where do you stand on this whole point? Yeah, it's a good question, right? When, when, when you think about bailouts, right? Bailouts are, are, are there, they're, they're, they're mutually beneficial, right? The company wins because they survive, right? A, go a government uh, uh, bailout, or, you know, what, what, what's in it for them? It's, it's the employees, you know, it's, it's the fact that there's employment, right? So, so usually when it comes to, 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 to these kind of things, the government's objective is to ensure jobs remain and survive or stay. Um, and as a result, those people spending the economy and that, that, that contributes. Companies um, that do not have the capacity, funds or assets to, 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 to remain afloat, but are still relevant uh, and profitable um, are worth saving in my opinion. If, if there is, let's say a company uh, or, or, or an industry that is on its last legs, um, the, the question really should come uh, to, 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 to whether it's worth saving or not. And what is the, what are the, what is the ROI? What is the uplift uh, at all, if any, of, of, of keeping it afloat? Virgin Atlantic for Sir Richard Branson uh, has been his, his 
baby. It's his emotional. Uh, it's his emotional uh, uh, part, part, part of uh, part of his conglomerate, right? He's done a lot of things based on uh, uh, on, on business savvy, which has made him very successful and, and a multi-billionaire. And others have been purely based on an emotional investment, which means that you don't care whether it, whether it makes money or not, but you're emotionally invested in keeping uh, in, in keeping something. That is Virgin Atlantic for Richard Branson. He has a very he has a soft spot for that uh, that part of his business uh, significantly, and that's the reason why he's willing you know today to dig into his own coffers uh, uh, to try and bail it out in whichever way he he can, right? It's his favorite business. So I suppose the question comes, and it, you know, it's especially when you look at Virgin Atlantic, it's part it's an airline. Airlines, by 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 very definition, if you if you think about Porter's Five Forces. Right, you know the, the example that they give there. Uh, it's a, you know as a, it's, as a consulting principle is that basically airlines do not work. They're not profitable. Uh, they cannot ever be profitable. But they're a necessary medium for people to, uh, to to move around the world and for the economy to continue to move. So, I I guess you know my personal opinion is that you know it you know when when looking at how many jobs. Virgin Atlantic is is uh, uh, likely to keep, you know, after they restructure and 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 kind of let's say move with uh, uh, you know the changing dynamics of of travel, you know, what is the outcome? What 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 will that achieve? You know, is it a short term stimulus for a long term problem? Um, and if so, then that that money could be better used elsewhere. Um, you know, South African Airways is a fantastic example. They have been bailed out more than any other airline on the planet by the South African government. And just recently, they have finally, the, the, the final nail in the coffin has gone into that airline and they will no longer have a national carrier in South Africa. A lot of people are employed by South African Airways, but the fact of the matter is, you know, those funds, the stimuluses, the billions of South African rand that they had been putting, been, been piling into South African airways, was not generating any source of income for the economy, apart from, uh, let's say, debt that was being used to cover employee uh, costs. Um, and essentially, it's a dead investment. You know, governments should be looking to understand, okay, when things need to die, they need to die it's evolution at the end of the day, you know, that's how you become leaner, you become more agile, you become, you know, you increase competition in the market, you ensure that, you know, uh, you're staying one step ahead of the game. The airline industry has been an absolute dinosaur for the longest time. And when it comes to airline bailouts, uh, airline bailout, bailouts, if Richard Branson is willing to, to, to cough up his own money, um, or at least to part pay uh, uh, part of the bill, um, then, then, then fair enough. Uh, of course, you know, we, you know, we care about people. We care about, you know, those that could lose their jobs. Um, but I don't think it should be entirely handled or, or covered by the government to bail out Virgin Atlantic or any airline uh, that that uh, is is not likely to be a long term uh, safe bet for the economy. Um, or uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something which isn't protecting as many jobs as, for example, let's say, you know, the, you know, the National Rail Service or, or whatever it might be, you know, 
that's essentially what we need to look at. If you look at the African market today, there are only there is only one airline that has been kept that has stayed in the black in in the sense that it's financially healthy. That is Ethiopian Airlines, uh, and it's strange to say that, but it's it's absolutely true. It's got one of the the, the largest network of, of 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 destinations in 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 Africa, and there are not there's not a single other airline domestically grown that has been able to survive. Um, uh, and be financially relevant or financially worthwhile. They have essentially allowed, some markets have essentially allowed, look, okay, the Middle Eastern carriers, they've got the oil, they've got the capacity, they've got the distribution, they've got the network, let them take care of that mess. Um, and that's essentially something which, you know, uh, uh, could be necessary, a necessary evil, right? Consolidation in the market, uh, consolidation of airlines. Uh, that's interesting you mentioned the Ethiopian airlines because they obviously were involved in a high-profile crash um, last year, was it? On those um, yeah. infamous infamous planes which were all grounded because of safety issues, right? Um, <clears throat> all right, Wayne, um, we've taken up a lot of your time today and we appreciate all your insight and knowledge. Um, it's been very interesting, very insightful. Uh, just to end, let's 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 have a end end of positivity for all those travel goers out there. How can you see us? Give us a positive message going into the future about travel, future travel. What can we expect? Like, you know, perk us up a bit about the travel industry. Once this lockdown is over, I cannot think of a, of of anything other or anything else I would rather spend my money on then get out of my house, get out of my apartment, get out of my area and go and explore and see the world like I've never seen it before. I have such a massive appreciation for things that I took for granted. And I think all of us will be massively, massively appreciative of what it means to travel, what it means to, to, to go and see, you know, other parts of the world. Uh, and, you know, things will get better. We will handle this virus. And as it's handled, you know, you know, you, there is something to look forward to, um, you know, and you and your families, um, you know, can stay safe and can still enjoy a fantastic holiday, both locally or internationally soon enough. And, and I would say that's definitely the carrot and the stick for people. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a short, uh, you know, a short spell. Uh, uh, but we can all expect to be traveling again soon enough. And uh, uh, yeah, and that's about it, really. Awesome, Wayne. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on today. Like I said, we appreciate your time and um, we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Thanks for having me in this lovely shed. Yeah, anytime. You're always welcome. All right, everyone, stay safe. Thank you. Goodbye.